Let that go. All right. So this morning I wanted to talk to you. It was, it was amazing as I was at the men's retreat and as we went through it, how many things were said that uh, I was like, man, that's exactly what I'm going to talk about. And it was, it was a confirmation to me, so it was really good. I'm going to talk to you this morning about victory. We talked uh, all weekend a lot about battles and uh, overcoming battles. And just like these guys were sharing just to see the transformation that men will have um, coming out of every type of sin. Yeah, and you all have your own uh, battles that you fight. And to see the transformation in the victory is truly um, life-changing. It, it really is. And to hear that, I mean, it's a boost for me for sure. Um, so I was thinking about the whole thing of victory, thinking about Winning, losing, we even talked about this up there. Guys, if you heard this up there, I had it prepared before them, so blame them up there. So winning, losing, what does that look like? What, every one of us wants to be a winner, right? Every single one of us. Nobody says, I want to be on the losing team. That's what I want to do. I want to get skunked today. Yeah, that would be awesome. None of us want to do that. We all want to be winners what does it take to be a winner, a winner in life? I got just a couple things here. A winner makes a mistake, and when he does, he says, I was wrong. When a loser makes a mistake, he says, it wasn't my fault. A winner makes commitments. A loser makes promises. A winner says, I'm good, but not as good as I ought to be. A loser says, I'm not as bad as a lot of other people. A winner tries to learn from those who are better than him. A loser tries to tear them down. A winner says, there ought to be a better way to do it. A loser says, that's the way it's always been done. Last one, a winner repeats behavior that works and avoids behavior that doesn't work. A loser repeats behavior because he's comfortable with it. How many of us have been there, right? At the, the old uh, merry-go-round of stupid that we hear so much about. We've just done it. We're in a rut. We can't get out of it, but we know there's a better way, but we just can't quite get to that. I come across the, a quote, and it says, The road to failure is greased with the slime of indifference. I don't care. I, it's too much work. I can't get there. I can't do it. I'm just going to stay right where I'm at. My wife and I have been married almost 24 years. Well, it'll be 24 years in November. You don't even know? It's too much math, she says. It's 24 years in November. I can't believe I'm saying that because we just got married the other day and it's already been 24 years. Um, the crazy thing is, so when we got married, uh, if you know our story, we grew up Mennonite and we didn't have a television. Um, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but So we played a lot of games. Obviously, for a newlywed couple, there's only two things to do if you get married. <laughs> what are you guys laughing about? One of them's games, and the other's mowing the lawn. Come on. <laughs> so we play a lot of games. One of them we played was Monopoly. See, it, it's already gone downhill. <laughs> I love Monopoly. 
I'm pretty good at it, to be honest with you. And I would play my wife in Monopoly. And after a bit, she starts getting mad at me. She's like, this is so stupid. I said, what's stupid? She goes, you won't trade me anything. I said, what do you mean? Just because I won't trade Park Place for Baltic doesn't mean I'm not, I want to win. I'm not going to just give you just to make you win. No, I want to win. That's the fact of the matter. I want to win. So eventually she's like, okay, I'm not going to play you anymore. So we moved on to Tetris and other things. I don't know what we did. We just, it was, it was, it was a whole different deal. But I wanted to win. And we all want to win. We all want to, we all want to win at life, right? We all want to win. So we know how to, a lot of us know how to win. Maybe you know how to win financially. Okay, I've taken all the, we do Dave Ramsey. I've taken all the courses. I know how to win financially. I know how to win with my health. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat, right? I'm going to do all these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win with, uh, with my health. I'm going to have victory there. But spiritually, how many of us know what it takes and are willing to do what it takes to be a victor, to be a winner spiritually? If you have your Bibles, turn to James 4, verse 1 through 10 says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You, you want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the, think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pay attention to this part. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God, or draw an eye to God, as King James says, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Let's pray. God, let your words... Let my words be your words this morning, God. Speak through me, Lord, and uh, let our hearts be challenged and changed this morning for your glory. Thank you. In your name, amen. <clears throat> All right. That's quite a portion of Scripture. It's a, it's a sobering one. And as the five points I think about, um, five points to victory, the first one that came to my mind was the fear of the Lord. Um, this was actually another one that was said up there at the, re at the men's retreat, and my wife and I have been talking about it. If you read the uh, emails that Doug sends out, um, if you don't get, get with him, he'll get you on the list. And uh, we talked about it in there, the fear of the Lord. So many times it seems like in our culture we want to focus on the merciful side of God, the grace-filled side of God, which is a beautiful thing. 
But we do God a disservice if that's all we focus on. If we don't realize God is a just, a holy, a righteous God, and all we want to do is focus on the grace-filled side of God. We need to have a reverent fear of God, a proper fear of God. Proverbs 2.5 says, you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. They say you get your view of your heavenly father from your earthly father. Uh, my father is a pretty stern man, very nothing but loving. But he, uh, he was a disciplinarian. Never, I mean, everything was always uh, loving, but he, he was not one that you did what he said, right? And uh, <clears throat> it was funny, a lot of my friends thought my dad was scary. My wife actually thought the same thing when she met him. Well, she knew him for a long time, but she's like, man, he's, he's a scary dude. And to me, he wasn't. Because what they didn't see was they didn't see me playing baseball with my dad in the front yard. What they didn't see, they didn't see us going swimming at the lake every summer day. What they didn't see was they didn't see us playing games as a family. They saw a stern dad because that's, that's how he was. But he was also the dad that he said, be home at 10 o'clock. Guess what time I got home? Uh, 10.02. <laughs> and then the next morning, he would say at our family devotions, literally we had it every morning, I'm so honored to have a father like I have. He would say, hey Tim, what time did you get home last night? He knew. Even though I turned my lights off and coasted in the driveway as slow as I possibly could, he knew what time I got home. I'd say 10.02, and then I'd probably be grounded for nine months or something like that. I don't know what it was. But I had a fear of my father. I wasn't a fear of, I can't go close to him because he's going to hit me over the head. No. It was a proper fear of, I knew my place with him. And I knew that he meant what he said. There was a fear there. He was a loving father, but there was a there was a, a awe of him, if we can use that word. Fearing the Lord means to be in awe of his holiness, to give him complete reverence, and to honor him as the God of great glory, majesty, purity, and power. When God revealed himself to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, and we're going to talk about this in just a little bit through Thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and, over, and a very loud trumpet blast, they all trembled. There was a fear of God. They, they trembled in fear because of His great power. They even begged Moses to deliver God's message to them so they would not have to encounter God Himself. You deliver it to me because I don't want to encounter God. He's too scary. The psalmist uh, writes, he says, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. That's why, so we, we just had a powerful worship, right? That's why when, during worship time, it's not, it's not just a time to come and have another performance. It's not a time to just come and, oh, we're going to listen to a, a drummer or a singer or a guitar player. It's so much more than that. It's not a concert. 
Uh, we love to come and worship, but it's worshiping an almighty God. It's bowing before Him and saying, God, You are worthy. You are worthy to receive honor and glory. And when you get your glimpse off of yourself and get a glimpse of the Father, you can't help but to worship. You can't help to say, I am undone. I, I worship you, Father. And that's just a shout out to our worship team. This is one of the things that I appreciate so much about our church, about our worship. Um, Eddie and Ann have done worship here for 20 years-ish. And that's a long time to continue to do the same thing over and over and over. But what's so unique about it is you could be the best guitar player in the world. You could be the best drummer. That doesn't mean you get on the worship team because they're looking for someone with a heart of worship. Yeah, give them a hand. That's good. They're not looking for somebody that can just sing amazing. They want that, but they, but they also want more than that. They want somebody with a pure heart who says, I want to worship the Father. I want to worship God. That's what they want. That's what they desire. And then that's when we can be led into worship, which is why it happens week after week after week and why we continue to see revival. I just, I'm, I can't thank them enough. It's, it's something that, I, um, that I'm so thankful for that we have here. The amazing thing about our Father, we want to have a fear of Him, um, but yet, what's so unique is he wants a relationship with us. So James says, and so it happened, just as the scriptures say in James 2.23, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. But check this. He was called the friend of God. Abraham was called the friend of God. That's pretty remarkable. I've uh, seen, I was just talking to somebody the other day, I can't, oh, I talked to the youth group a little bit about it the other night, about the Hubble telescope. The, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous what we're able to see anymore. Um, they're seeing, like I saw the, a picture of galaxies, and it's, it was just a, a picture on Google or whatever, but it was amazing. It looked like what we see as stars, but it's galaxies. And if you know anything about science, which I don't, but anyways... Uh, our galaxy, the Milky Way, is enormous. So when you step back and you see all of these galaxies, it's, as a human, I can't wrap my mind around the vastness of it. And the creator of that wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to... Oh boy, I was going to go to the, he knows the hairs on my head, but <laughs> you do too, so, <laughs> so that wouldn't work, but he wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants to know you personally. If you ask me what I did yesterday, I can tell you, I was at the men's retreat, what did you do on Friday? Well, I was at the men's retreat, and I can go through and tell you what I did, but God can tell me what the same thing about tomorrow and Tuesday, and Wednesday. He can tell you all that. He knows that just like I know what happened last week, and he wants a relationship with me. How incredible is that? 
the Father, the Creator, wants a relationship with me. That's why we say, you hear it, it isn't about religion, and I don't know, it's almost maybe become cliche at times, but we say it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. But it's so true. It's so true. When we can have a vibrant, real relationship with the Creator, what an honor. What a, that's when we develop a fear of God, when we realize our place there. John Piper says, to fear God is to believe in your heart that He is so powerful and so holy and so awesome that you would not dare to run away from Him, but you would only run to Him. Your Father, standing with outstretched arms, saying, come here, son. It's not just another requirement. It's the way you come to believe Jesus. And when we believe that we, when we believe in God, we have a, a perspective change sometimes. That's my second one. Perspective. We look at following God as a beautiful way that leads to life instead of a list of things that can or cannot do. Or else our conscience will get the best of us. So what determines our perspective? If you look in Numbers uh, 13, verse 23 uh, through 33, I think it is, it's the story of Joshua and Caleb. I know we've actually heard that story just a little bit lately. But it's incredible. Twelve men go to spy out the land, right? Twelve men. And the, the one verse, uh, I don't know, it's, it's uh, I don't see it right here. They go to get grapes, and they literally, I mean, this is no exaggeration, they had to carry a cluster of grapes between two men. That's how big the cluster of grapes is. Last I checked, that's a watermelon. But this is, I mean, these things are huge, and they're it's big. They go in there, they see giants, giants in the land, huge. We feel like grasshoppers next to them, they said. But when they came back, there was 12 men. What happened? 10 of them had a report. Okay, we can't do this. There's no two ways about it. These guys are big. They're too fortified. They're too strong. They're too big. There's no way we can go in there. But there was two men by the names of Joshua and Caleb. And they said, no, that's not the case. See, what's unique about these two men, well, actually about all of these men, all 12 of them, I'm assuming they were chosen to go in probably because they had some upstanding, you know, they were somewhat upstanding in their communities. Hey, I want to pick you, 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 because you guys have got, you know, you, you, you're leaders. We want you to go and spy out the land. So these same 12 men had all been through a bunch of miracles. They had just been through the Red Sea, right? They had been through the Red Sea. Is there a greater miracle? I don't remember ever walking on dry land through walls of water. I always thought, you know, man, when I was a kid, I'd think about it. There's probably a fish like halfway in and halfway out just flopping around. But it's who's walking through on dry land? They had just done that. They had also seen deliverance from from Egypt. And it was miracle after miracle. I mean, there was ten plagues, right? And they weren't just... I mean, it was, it was miraculous the way it all worked out. They had all seen this exact same thing. So why would it be that when they got up there and checked out the land that they would have such different perspectives? 
Would it be their, their view of God? Would it be their, what would it be that would make them have such different things, such different mindsets, I guess? Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take them. We can do it. We can get up there and we can do it. You know why? Because God is on our side. I don't care how tall your giant is. I don't care how strong your chains are. God can and will, if you're willing, you can have victory just like Joshua and Caleb. If ever there was a time for a fresh perspective, it's now. So many are groping for answers. We have anxiety. We have suicides. We have hopelessness. We have addictions. We have all this stuff. And people are groping for answers. They want so badly to know that there's something real. There's something to believe in. There's something more than what we have right now, this, this life right now. There's something more than that. When we have the proper perspective, our vision changes. Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 13, he said, Brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward. Just like a runner, I set my eyes on the finish line. I'm not going to focus on what's behind me. I'm going to focus on my goal. Pressing on to receive the heavenly prize from which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. I got an illustration here. Our perspective, it's all in our perspective. Hopefully this thing ain't knotted up. Uh-oh. Come on, Thad. You did good. You did a great job. It, it wasn't knotted up. Thad did a great job. It's knotted now. No, it's not knotted. It's just a little tangled. That's right. We're going we're gonna to go with it here as good as we can. So here's the deal. Come on. Come with me. Yeah. It's like a little puppy. Um, <clears throat> this here is a timeline. If it's stretched clear over yonder, either way, it's still a timeline. Imagine with me, this is a timeline of your existence. This, this whole thing goes on for millions and millions of years. This right here, this little, I think it's red. Don't ask a colorblind guy to do this, but I think it's red. This little red spot on the end is your time on earth. The rest of this is the no timeline. We can't put a timeline on eternity. But the rest of this is where you will spend your eternity. All the way down there. This here is your time on earth. And so many of us, we focus. Ah, we may focus on this little bit here at the end. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can all the way up to here so that right here, I can be comfortable. So that right here, I'm going to travel, I'm going to do good. Don't get me wrong, I'm not opposed to retiring and, and all that. But we focus, where is our perspective? Right, right. 
we focus on this little tiny spot right in here when we have all of eternity. And where is our perspective? Because it will dictate what choices we're going to make today. It's going to dictate what decisions that we're making. So when I want to do something stupid, I'm going to say, okay, I've got a couple hours of pleasure right here. But I've got eternity to look at. And it will change your perspective. Francis Chan was the one that I, I, I can't steal his stuff. This is, he's the one that I saw do this. And it's, it's an incredible, incredible thought to see and to put into perspective our time and how, how uh, we want to make the most of our time and the decisions that we make. It's so important. Next one is put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, actually there's a couple verses here. Verse 13 says, put on every piece of God's armor. You've heard this before. So you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground. Okay, here's the armor right here. Putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayer for all believers everywhere. I can't help but think of the story, again, we heard this this week, about David and Goliath. You've all heard it. But how David goes out to fight Goliath. David's a puny little dude, but he's going to go out and fight Goliath. And before he goes, Saul, who it says was head and shoulders above everyone else, says, okay, I mean, Saul should have been the one going out and doing it in the first place, but David's the man that has God's vision, and he's going to go and do it. And Saul says, listen, the least that you can do is put on an armor. That's the least you can do. So he tries on Saul's armor. It's ridiculously big. He doesn't go. He goes out there with unarmed, or yeah, without armor. He kills Goliath. But I have to think, I don't know if you've seen in Don's office before, if you've ever seen Sir Peyton of Manning, as Don calls him, because Don's got something wrong with Peyton Manning. I don't know. He's got something. But anyways, this is an armor from head to toe. You cannot see any part of who would be standing in this armor. Nothing. Head to toe, protected. And you know what? It's the same way when Satan looks at you. When you have on that armor, same thing. Because guess what? He sees a shield. He sees a breastplate. He sees armor. Everywhere. I want to get to him, but I can't do it. Because he's too protected. But then, you know how he knows? You know how he knows it's you? Because you open your mouth. That's the only way. He knows it's you. Ah, I can't forgive that person. Oh, Satan's ears perk up. I can't forgive him. How can I love him? Look at him. Then, you have a chink, is what they call it. A chink in your armor. And Satan's going to begin to shoot and fire his darts in there. 
Put on the whole armor of God, guys. Put on the whole armor of God. Don't be vulnerable. The next one is draw near to God. James 4, 7 and 8 talks about it. And Tony Evans, powerful preacher, he said, the further we move from God, the closer, listen to this, it's, it's powerful, the further we move from God, God's here and we move further away, the closer we are to consequences of negatively being impacted by life's realities. We're all going to have challenges. Every single one of us is going to have challenges. The difference is, you want to have that challenge with or without God. You need to draw nigh to God. The spiritual consequences of abandonment from the Father, the opposite of drawing nigh to God, will always lead to regrets in life, and you and those around you will get a front row seat of watching your life unravel right before your eyes. So since the consequences are spiritually founded, the solution is too. That's the beautiful thing. When we get back into right relationship with God, we free Him up to address our situations. We free Him up to address our circumstances and get a fresh perspective and healing from the sores and the scars. Frank was talking about it. The scars in our life. Only then can we get true healing when we allow the Father to come close and to bring healing into our lives. Thinking of times in my own marriage, um, obviously outside of your relationship with God, probably the closest relationship or the one that you should pay most attention to is your spouse. Um, <clears throat> if I've ever felt distance from my wife, it's come from a lack of communication. I'm sure you've done this at times. What's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. Just the way you respond, they can already tell. You just keep going, what's wrong? Nothing. Finally, you got to say, okay, stop. There's something wrong. And my wife and I decided early on, we said, okay, we're never going to say that again. If there's something wrong, we're going to talk about it. Because it's stupid to sit there and go back and forth. Nothing, 15 times. You don't get anywhere. That's not only the way it works in life, but, or with my wife, but it also works that way in life. And what happens is, when we don't have that close communication, we begin to assume the worst. Um, I know for myself, if I'm not, I've got a friend and I don't see him for a while, and I'm beginning to, oh, you know, I hope he's doing okay. He ain't talked to me in a while. I, I guess he's okay. Or at church, I've skipped three Sundays in a row, and it's like, ah, man, I don't know. It's church. I, do they even care about me? I'm not even sure if, I don't know if I even fit in. You know, I've... I don't know. And as you go on and on like that, it just gets worse and worse. You need to draw near, for lack of a better term in this situation, draw near. You need to be, be close. You start to feel a disconnect if not. So um, I like using examples about my wife. It works out well. So I used to, uh, quite a while back, I used to drive truck. And one day, I got home from driving truck. And... Um, got in the driveway. My wife comes walking out of the house. We had, we had four young youngins at the time. Seldom got a babysitter, so she was taking care of them all the time, wiping snotty noses and other things. And, and uh, she was always 
I mean, it's a lot of work, as you know. I, she would say, you get to leave, and you get to, you know, go out on the road and whatever else. And here I am, stuck at home with these kids, right? <laughs> and I've got to say that, because they're right here. They're amazing. But anyways, so I get home one day, and she had had a rough day. She'd had a rough day at home. Wasn't going particularly well. So I get in the driveway, I get out of the truck, start walking towards the house, and she starts coming towards me. She's, she starts smiling. And I'm like, okay, what are we doing? And uh, she's like, as she gets closer, she, keep, she keeps smiling more. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. She wanted to mow the lawn. That's exactly what it was. She wanted to mow the lawn. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. <laughs> so anyways, she comes out and she's just so excited to see me. Naturally, she would be excited to see me. I mean, it just goes without saying. But I, was, I thought this was a little more than normal. And uh, I'm like, what's up, you know? And... Uh, all of a sudden, her face, I, I was like, what, what did I do? You know, what was, I just got home just a second ago. You were, thought you had captured the man, and now you're like not happy to see me. I was like, what is going on? Well, here's what had happened from a different perspective. When I had come home, I got, this is from her perspective, backed in the driveway, got out of the truck, started walking to her, I had to scratch my back. So I started scratching my back. She didn't see me scratching my back. She saw a long day and I had flowers. <laughs> she was like, he was so thoughtful. He brought me roses. I had a rough day. I can't believe the stud that I married. Unfortunately, that's not the way it was. I was just scratching my back. And, well, never mind. Anyways, it, uh, it was just a lesson in communication. It's what it was. I mean, obviously, we didn't communicate about it. We didn't know what was going to happen. But you have to communicate with, obviously, with your spouse, but with the father if you're going to draw near to him. By the way, the, the guy that, uh, that owned that truck, my uncle, is here this morning. My aunt and uncle, I'm so, he's one of the, he's as fine a man as you'll ever meet. Uh, and uh, he taught me a lot. Um, it's so much so the same with, with, with our father. That connection, if we want to have that connection, if we want to draw near the only, man, the only man in the Bible to actually see God was Moses. And if you look at how he did that, it was, I said earlier about Mount Sinai, um, he would climb the mountain. Now Josh and, and Bo and Don can talk to you about climbing mountains out west and what a rigorous thing it is. It's not just a, I'm going to climb the top of that mountain and ten minutes later you're up there. Moses was climbing a mountain 
to see God. I'm talking, I don't know, I didn't look up how high this mountain was, but it's a mountain. It wasn't a Michigan mountain, it was a mountain. And he would climb this mountain to meet God. That's his desperation for meeting with the Father. And when he got up there, Scripture says, I think he went up eight times, if I'm not mistaken. When he was up there, sometimes the mountain trembled because of the Lord's presence. Last I checked, that's an earthquake. The mountain trembled. Sometimes the presence of the Lord was so strong that it just hovered over the top of the mountain in the form of a cloud. The presence of the Lord was so strong. He was up there at least on two different occasions for 40 days and 40 nights. And I know the last time that he met God, he fasted that whole time. I mean, I struggle to to find five minutes to read my Bible. I struggle to find five minutes to pray. Why will I not see God? Here's Moses, a man who's pursuing God, pursuing God's heart. And he climbs a mountain to do it and spends 40 days and 40 nights with, with God. And when he comes down from the mountain, his face is so bright and shining that people said, you've got to cover your face because it's so bright. The presence of God is just, it's going to knock us over. How much are we willing to do to become near to God? Because let me tell you something, if you are feeling distance from God, I can tell you which one of you has moved and which one hasn't. Every time. And if I find myself at a distance from God, it's not His fault. How much are you willing to do at, a, again, another men's retreat thing? But this one was like, I don't know, it was one of the first ones we were at. There was a man there by the name of Johnny Blake. And he said this quote. It was just a fantastic message. He said, if you want to be satisfied, go in your prayer closet, shut the door, climb the mountain, and meet God. We all have that opportunity. We all have that within us. Do we want to take the time to do it? Do we want to put in the effort, just like with my wife, do I want to put in the effort? It's the same, same with my relationship with God. The last one is resist the devil. What does that look like? Colossians 3, 5-10 to says, Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Resist the devil. Uh, there was a group of us that went down to the Act Like Men's Conference in 2013 in Indianapolis. Well, it was another super powerful thing. And uh, Matt Chandler spoke. If you've listened to any of Matt Chandler's stuff, I really appreciate him. 
And he spoke a little bit about uh, the show One, One Animal's Attack. Anybody ever seen that show? It's hard for me to watch, literally. I like, I, it's the same like there was the big pile up in Texas here with 100 cars or whatever when the ice storm was down there. It's hard to watch. I mean, it's like, I can't, ugh, I gotta turn away because you just see another truck come rolling in and it's hard to watch. But this show was called One Animal's Attack. And uh, there was a, they, they, they had a, a lion, they had tamed a tiger, a lion, I think it was. And they had a lady who was shooting a commercial for shampoo. Don't ask me why. I don't have any idea what shampoo has to do with a lion. But anyways, they're shooting this commercial, and this lady has on this little robe and everything, and she literally gets on the lion's back as it's sitting down. I'm not the smartest guy you've ever met. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm probably not going to do that because you know what lions do? They bite. That's exactly right. They bite. And you know what the show is called? One animal's attack. So I can tell you what's going to happen, right? So she's on here, you know, on this lion's back. And next thing you know, the lion's starting to maul her. I... Anyways, they talked to the trainer later on and they said, can you explain what happened? He goes, no, I can't. I don't know what happened. He just snapped. He's a lion for Pete's sake. That's what lions do. He's going to bite you. He's going to bite you. Too many of us think that we can take Come on. Come on. and somehow we can be a lion trainer. I've got this lion hiding in my closet right now. He's a little guy. I can tame him. Watch this. I'll even show you some tricks. He's not going to hurt anything. He's just a little lion. We feel like somehow we have that lion managed. We feel like somehow we have him contained. But let me tell you something. That lion's going to do the same thing every time. He's going to attack. There's only one way. There's only one way that you're going to gain victory. It's when you drag that lion out of your closet. When you drag it out in the street and you put a bullet in its head. When you drag it out and you say, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play anymore. It's not worth it. I'm not going to play with this lion anymore because I know what lions do. Every time, you can't tame it. You cannot tame your sin. When you think you have it contained, it will come back. It will bite you.
I'm going to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to ask my family to come up here real quick, please. Are Ty and Carly in here? Yeah, they're back there. <clears throat> Pretty grateful for these guys. What Matt Chandler also said in that message was he said, your sin, this is for the men in the room, your sin and the collateral effects of your sin will be all over them. That's the collateral damage when you think your little line is cute when you think you've controlled it. When you think you've tamed him. But please don't get angry at God when that lion comes out and attacks. Don't be angry with God when that very lion that you brought into your house starts to attack and then the collateral damage goes right on down the line. When when that happens because we've walked away from God, that will also show up in our circumstances. So whatever that lion is, if you'd stand up with me this morning, whatever that lion is that might be in your life, if you walked away from God, if you want victory, don't give that lion a treat. Don't play with it. It's not something to play with. Drag it out of your closet, like I said earlier. Drag it into the light. So many men did it this weekend. It was so powerful. Bring it to the altar and kill that lion right now. Before the damages go through your family. I don't have grandkids now. Lord willing, someday I will. But guess what? Not only does it go through my wife and my kids, my grandkids and their kids and their kids. How important is it to you guys? You know, that same Joshua who had the, saint, who had the proper perspective with the giants was the same man that said, you know what? I don't know about the rest of y'all. I'm going to serve the Lord. I don't care what the rest of you do. I don't care. It's not worth it to me. But we're going to serve the Lord. I guarantee you when you do that, when you have a true and reverent fear of God, when you put on the armor of God, when you seek God, you'll find him. Then you'll be able to resist the devil and your, per and your perspective will change. 
If you want to, if you want, if you got something you want to bring to the altar, I know you all up here earlier, but if you got something you want to bring to the altar, you say, I, I'm tired of dealing with this lion. Come up, somebody will pray with you. If you say, I want to stand and say, I'm going to, my family and I, we're going to serve the Lord. You're welcome to do that. But I'm just asking you to take inventory in your life this morning, guys. You can have victory. You can have victory. But it doesn't come without a fight. I'm asking you to, to do your part and being victorious. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you. Thank you that you take broken people, God, and that you put us back together. Thank you, God, that we don't have to continue in brokenness, God, but that we can live in victory every day. God, thank you that you're calling us to that life of victory. But God, what we have to do is surrender. So God, that's what I'm doing right now is surrendering. Surrendering my all to you, God. Because the alternative is not worth it. So God, I give myself to you. I ask, Lord, that you would continue, God, to move. That we could live in victory and be victorious people every day for you. In your name.